You may remember that last week we talked about worship gratefully, and and the main idea that we considered that morning was this idea that our eyes on our blessings bring our knees to the floor in worship. So I want you just to reflect briefly on the last week and think, um, in what ways, how were your eyes on your blessings, how were you Um, how were your eyes on your blessings last week? How did you live out gratitude? How did you worship gratefully last week? And that's not just how did you worship gratefully last Sunday morning, but I mean Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, how did you worship gratefully last week? So I want you to ponder that for a moment before we step into what we're looking at next. How did you worship gratefully last week? And, and you can think about our, or you might remember, our definition for worship is this. Worship is to bring all of who I am before all of who God is and to allow that communion to change my life. So as we think about that being our definition of worship, that being our context of worship, then the the thing that we'll look at this morning, so last week we looked at our eyes on our blessings bring our knees to the floor, and in a sense, the, the next step that we'll consider this morning with the passage we'll look at is our eyes on His mercies bring our lives to the altar. So we'll look at that as we look at Romans 12, 1 through 2, um, in a moment, but first I want to play a game with you. And this, that may sound strange in this context, but I'm going to move this out of the way because I keep thinking I'm going to run into it. Um, so this game we're going to play is simple, and I've given it this title, In View of My Gift, What Might You Offer Me? All right? So it goes like this. Um, in view of my gift, what might you offer me? Oh, so I see Seth over here. And I'm going to give Seth this coffee mug. All right, it's yours. So now, um, that coffee mug I found in uh, the Lost and Found this morning, I think, <laughs> I think it's been there 23 years. Um, so, so I want you all to consider, put yourself in Seth's shoes. In view of my gift, what might you offer me? And I'm not going to, I mean, he can answer if he wants, you all can answer if you want, but how, what, what, is your, what are you thinking? In view of my gift, what might you offer me? All right, now, maybe that's, that's not a very impressive gift to many of you. I'm, I'm getting the feel for that. So um, I see Bob Truett down here, and I, I'm going to give you, Bob, this covenant pen. All right? <laughs> So hopefully that may be considered a little bit better. I don't know. So, so think with me, with Bob, again. In view of my gift, what might you offer me? So now I'm, I'm looking around. Oh, good. I'm looking around. Um, Corinna. Um, I have a third gift, right? This is a Great Harvest gift card. I'm going to give that to you. Um, so think with me, Corinna, and everyone. In view of my gift... What might you offer me? A lot, a lot. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps more than the coffee mug from the lost and found or the pen, uh, which you could pick up in the back anytime. Um, 
So in view of my gift, what might you offer me? And so let's, let's continue to, to take it up a little bit. I mean, we can imagine a scenario where imagine you are, are in great debt and I give you the gift of paying off your mortgage. So consider, in view of my gift, what would you offer me? Or if we go even further and we say that you are sick and in need of a kidney transplant and I give you one of my healthy kidneys, in view of my gift, what would you offer me? And we can keep going down the line. You, you have cancer and um, I discover a life-saving cancer treatment and I give it to you in view of my gift, what would you offer me? And the reality is, and you know where we're going with this, we think of what the Lord has done. Imagine that you are spiritually dead. And God brings you from spiritual death to spiritual life. In view of his gift, what would you offer him? So none of these gifts were, um, were dependent upon you doing something. I didn't pick out my three favorite people and give them to my three favorite people. Um, these, you, the gift was undeserved. It was unmerited. And in view of that gift, what do you offer in return? How do you respond? So with that in mind, let's look to Romans 12, 1 through 2, as we read and listen to this Beautiful passage. Paul is writing and he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, we, we listen to your word. We want to submit to your word and learn from your word. May it be this morning that we would hear from you, that we would hear from your spirit, that we would learn from your word. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I want to I think about this passage in four parts. Uh, the first part is this idea of God's mercy. So the actual Greek word, it, it's not mercy as in one thing, but it's mercies plural in that the many mercies of God. We can think of, um, you know, Paul, he says in this verse, therefore, so he's pointing back to the things that he's been describing in the rest of the book, chapters 1 through 11 in Romans. So therefore, given these things and what, what Paul has done in Romans 1 through 11, as he has in many ways outlined a number of God's incredible mercies given to his people. Very similar to how we focused last week, we had some conversation about the spiritual blessings that we've received in the heavenly realms. And we talked about what, what it is to receive a spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And, and Paul, we talked about six of them in particular that Paul mentions in Ephesians. And Paul also mentions many of those same things through the book of Romans. There's four of them in particular that we'll talk about that Paul has in view that he is um, 
described in chapters 1 through 11. And whereas in Ephesians, Paul took a verse and gave a verse to each of those spiritual blessings, in Romans, he gives a chapter to each of these spiritual blessings. So some of those that you might remember is um, that we talked about last week. We are chosen, followers of Jesus. You have been chosen by God. You have been predestined to be adopted. You have been redeemed by his blood. And you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Those four things Paul outlines in great detail in chapters 1 through 11. So now he says, in view of those mercies, in view of the fact that you've been chosen, predestined, redeemed by my blood, and um, empowered by the Spirit, in view of those things, and Paul goes on, that's the great mercy that Paul is referring to. We can consider and remember the stories that Jesus tells. One story of the Good Samaritan that describes this great mercy that Paul wants us to have in view in this passage. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, the the traveler is beaten and robbed and stripped and left half dead. And what happens is the Good Samaritan comes along and by his mercy, he rescues him. This Good Samaritan, who likely the traveler would have um, treated that Samaritan's people wrongly, poorly, yet that Good Samaritan pours mercy on to this traveler. So the question in front of us is, in view of that kind of mercy, what might, if we were to continue the story on, what, what might the traveler have offered to the Samaritan in response to such great mercy? We think of the story that Jesus tells of the unmerciful servant where the king forgives an unpayable debt, a huge debt uh, of this servant. And we can consider, again, if we were to carry out that story, what, what, how would we respond in view of that kind of mercy? How should we respond? What would we offer a king who gives that great mercy? So, in view of God's mercy, the second part that we'll look at that Paul outlines here is he says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. So, we're to offer our body as a living sacrifice. The reality is, sacrifice, you know, these conversations about the sacrificial system can get kind of difficult because for us, that's not a part of our culture. For the people in ancient times, that was part of their vernacular. That was just, that was, they all knew about sacrificial systems, regardless of what worldview you were in, whether it was polytheistic or monotheistic. There, there were sacrificial systems all over the place. So they understood this idea of sacrifice. And for us, it's pretty, pretty vague and sounds distant and, and pretty strange. But I want to I get down to the heart of it and say this, that, that a sacrificial system in, in an unhealthy expression is transactional behavior that leads to superstition. So you can look at um, you know, what you might read of ancient times, of different sacrificial systems, of things that people would do to appease the deities or to negotiate with the deities. And, and it turned into these transactional, um, uh, this transactional um, relationship. It wasn't even a relationship. It was a transaction that often turned into some kind of superstition. 
different than in a healthy expression, a healthy expression of a sacrificial system is relational behavior that leads to worship. And this is how the Lord used the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. It was relational behavior that led to worship. So the Jewish sacrificial system was all about acknowledging the greatness of God as creator and the sinfulness of people. And that moved them into a relationship with God that led to worship. Offering a sacrifice rightly done is an act of submission. It's done in honor of or in payment to I give this thing because God deserves, either he deserves the thing or he deserves my obedience of offering the thing. I owe God something. That is is the essence, the heart of a sacrificial system. There's a giving up, a giving away, a presenting of something to someone that cost me or it's honoring them. That's sacrifice. So when Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, we, we have an idea and a picture of what sacrifice is, but what does he mean by living sacrifice? So this is in contrast to all the normal sacrifices that were sacrifices of dead things, whether it was an animal or incense or food. Um, all of these were dead things. So to offer my body as a living sacrifice, is to offer my very life, my life lived out for the purposes of the one to whom I offer it. This is far more personal and far more costly than offering a goat or a lamb or grain. It's far more personal than that. So it makes sense then that that this is where the sacrificial system rightly practiced was always pointing or leading. That if I give God a goat, it's transactional and it can lead to superstition. And we've seen that all over the church and other world views. We've seen it gone wrong. If I give God my life, it's relational and it leads to worship. Paul calls this a spiritual act of worship. So spiritual translates this Greek word logikos, and other translations of it would be reasonable, true, proper, offered by mind and heart, intelligent, informed. So you you get this idea that it's it's reasonable, it's rational, it's thoughtful, it's spiritual. it's It's the right response of worship. The context that Paul is speaking into, there were lots of unreasonable sacrifices. These, as we mentioned, these transactional behavior that turned into superstition, these strange things that people would do to appease the gods, those were very unreasonable acts of worship. And Paul has in mind this stoic mindset that says, you know, it's all about reasoning and rational thinking. It's a, it's a response. It's getting away from these weird and strange um, transactions between the deities. And, and the Stoics are saying the reasonable, it's, it's reason and rational thinking. That's what pleases the gods. So Paul is saying that offering of yourself, 
That's offering yourself as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable, rational, right, informed, spiritual act of worship. This is a provocative and meaningful, amazing statement. A life lived out for the purposes of the living God is a spiritual act of worship. Not like animals being offered, we are offering ourselves, our lives, living, ongoing. It's our life that he wants. Why? Because he wants us to to share in his perfect community and to enjoy and proclaim his praise. That's what happens through through giving our life to following him. God isn't as concerned with our gifts. He wants our lives. So in a way, I can back up and think, okay, God, to offer my life that's more personal, that's more costly than, than a gift I might give. Than, than, um, so, so I think, actually, that, that's a lot to give. God, you are asking, I mean, I would rather write you a check or I would rather just come and gather with a bunch of people once a week. Can, can that be my offering? But God is asking for our lives as an offering. So that's, that's a lot for him to ask. That's a lot for Paul to urge us to give. And then in a way, if I think from another perspective, I realize actually... That's so little for me to give. And and perhaps that's actually so little for him to ask. In the sense of, if you remember last week, our conversation about the earthly realm, which is this little time on earth that we might live for up to 100 years, our earthly realm compared to the heavenly realm, which is eternity past and eternity future. And I think about that comparison, and I think about, as a follower of Jesus, we've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms So every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, that's the gift that I've been given. What might I offer in response to that? And and so to think about, I could offer my little life, just me, just, just me, God, I can offer my life and that's a fitting response to the plethora of spiritual blessings over the heavenly realms that you've poured on the world? All all I need to do in response is offer me? You mean I'm enough? That's why I realize, yes, in one sense, offering my life as a living sacrifice is in some ways, more than I can bear. It's too much because it's everything. But in another sense, it's so small and it's so doable. And I say, God, that's amazing that I'm enough. That's what you offer. That's what you asked for. My life in response to this incredible thing that you've given me. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. So in view of God's mercy, Paul urges us to offer our body as a living sacrifice. So the question we might ask in conclusion is, how? How can I offer my body as a living sacrifice? And 
Paul gives us these beautiful two points that are in a contrast to one another. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So to be conformed is to be shaped, molded, pressed. Um, I think of how my yard is conformed to the foot traffic of all the neighborhood kids that play in it all the time. We're blessed to have this group of eight boys and one cute little girl that run all around the yard and you can see the, the, the yard is conformed to their foot patterns and the dead grass paths where they walk the most and the, the holes where they've, um, well, I won't go into that. But so that, that is to be, my yard is conformed to their foot pattern. So to be conformed by the pattern of this world, the pattern of the world, if I think of the, the earthly realm, the world, what is the, the pattern of the world? It's selfishness and pride and materialism. So I think, how am I, how are we being pressed, molded, shaped by selfishness, pride, and materialism? And then, so Paul says, do not be conformed by the pattern of this world. And, and in a sense, I say, oh my goodness, how can, how can we not, how can my lawn not be conformed to the pattern of all the kids running all over it? How can my life not be conformed to the pressure of the selfishness, pride, and materialism of the world pressing in on me? And Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. It has in it, in it this, uh, there's something being done to me in addition or in as much or maybe more than me having a part in it. So there's a role I play in being transformed and there's a role that God plays in transforming me. The role that God plays in transforming me is in redemption through the gift of his spirit. So his spirit in me applies the work of redemption. That's his role, and that's huge. My role, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My role is to be committed to renewing my mind. I renew my mind. We renew our minds when we listen. We listen to God's voice. We hear his voice through his word, through his people, and through his spirit that he's put inside us. So we renew our mind. That's a continual thing, ongoing thing. We're renewing our mind. We're listening to God's voice through his word, his people, and his spirit. So I want to do an, a quick illustration uh, as we close, and Josiah agreed to do this with me. So Josiah, if you would come up and just stand right here. And I need three adults as well that are just going to um, stand on either side and behind Josiah. And I like Seth, so I'm going to pick on Seth again. Um, and I know Seth well enough to know that he won't be upset with me. Shane, would you join us up here? And, uh, and Travis, would you join us up here? So Seth's going to stand right here. Shane, you're going to stand right behind um, Josiah. Travis is going to stand to Josiah's left. Um, so what Josiah is, is all of us. And Paul and, and these men around him, they are the pattern of this world. So Josiah, <laughs> I know, I know, I, yeah, yeah, well. So 
Josiah, I say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is pressing in. They're seeking to shape, to form, to mold Josiah. So don't actually press or hurt my son. But, um, but imagine if these, as they press, how in the world can Josiah not conform to the pressure that these three men could exert if they try to conform him? And the conclusion is, Josiah doesn't have a chance. There's no way that he, can, that he can not conform to the pattern of this world. Unless, unless he is being transformed by the renewing of his mind. And here's what happens when you are transformed. That's your change from within. So since Josiah has put his faith in the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit, God has applied redemption to Josiah through his Holy Spirit living in Josiah. That spirit in Josiah is transforming him, is empowering him from the inside out. So I picture in one of these Marvel movies how, you know, someone has such power. So I picture, Josiah, you are empowered by the Spirit inside you. You are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as you stretch out the pattern of this world, they all fly against the wall. They are nothing in comparison to the transforming power of the Spirit. This is the illustration that I want to leave you with. This is how we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. I don't have a chance, but I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. That's how I can offer my body as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. In view of his mercies that he's given me, he's chosen me, he's predestined me, he's empowered me, he's redeemed me. So I want to offer my body as a living sacrifice. I want to have you close your eyes. We just close in a time of prayer. Guys, you can sit down. Thank you very much. And Father, as we come before you in praise, I just want each of us to have this interaction with you where we talk to you about in view of your gift, in view of your great mercies, God, how might we respond? What might we offer you? So as the praise and worship team is coming up, I just want you to continue having that conversation with the Lord. In view of his great mercy, what might you offer him? Speak to him, and in a moment, the praise and worship team will come in and we'll close with a response.